Thank you for listening to Conformed Christ Podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and, fo- and call people to follow Christ. Jay Jones, here with George Mays. You're having a difficult time. <clears throat> yeah, well, get, I was thinking about... Out. <laughs> I looked at Larry, and I, I thought he was stopping it again. Oh. Was like, <laughs> made me stumble, because that was the second time we uh, we went. Mm-hmm. So Don't blame it on Larry. Well, no, it's, no. it's not Larry's fault, because he was just cruising over there. It was just me. I uh, perceived... Yeah. Something that wasn't happening. So, um, well, it is text driven Tuesday, <clears throat> and you're back in Hebrews, or we are back in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11 and 11 through 18. So, if you've got a Bible, you want to grab your Bible, get it open, go there. And if you're driving, open it in your mind so as not to cause an accident. <laughs> Dad jokes. Open it in your mind. <laughs> Dad jokes. <laughs> Pretend as you listen, as I read this passage to you. So, so came across the Bethmore tweet. Of course, of course, you did. Did you see this? I sent it to you. Did you? Yes, did you read? Did you read the whole strand? Yes, I I didn't. I didn't read all of the comments because there were numerous. (laughs) Oh no! Numerous comments, but uh, yeah, yeah, Mm. it's another one of these Jonathan Edwards things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, so people may not know what's gone on, but um, as some of the predominant thoughts in the secular world regarding how we look at history have now infiltrated into the church. So what's happening now is everybody's going back and looking at the figures of the past and like standing in this like righteous judgment over everything that occurred in history before us. Right. And if there's anything, any flaw, any taboo, anything that wouldn't fit into our culture, <laughs> yeah. they're thrown away as evil men. Mm-hmm. How flawed men, evil men, we can't even, why should we even listen to their theological works? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's so Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards, he had, <clears throat> uh, he was a slave owner. To be fair, it doesn't seem like Beth Moore's criticism of him has anything to do with him being a slave owner. Well, it his, seems to be more she doesn't like the tone of his sure. <laughs> of his sermon. But you, but that's in the comments. So oh yeah. Oh, it's all over the comments. She's agreeing. Oh, it's all. Oh yeah. People all, bring it up. Yeah, she agrees. Yeah, it's all over the comments. Yeah. No, her hers. It seems to be a mischaracterization to me of yes. uh, sinners in the hands of an angry uh-huh. God, yeah. because he doesn't just hit with law. It's not like, right. hey, here comes law, and you know your head's on the ground, and the law is a sledgehammer, and I'm just going to hit you with this sledgehammer, and then I'm walking out. It's over. Mm. He never he he does hit with a sledgehammer of the law, but then he he always takes people to the gospel. Mm. Oh, and let us not forget this little bit of history. This sermon sparked a great awakening, right. where God worked through the. Not just this sermon, but this was really the spark. There were people everywhere being converted and becoming real Christians. Yeah. Uh, but she, the way she presents it, yeah. the, she, well, presents, uh, she presents it. I don't have my. I I forgot to bring my my iPad in here, so I can't show it on the screen. But she starts off for the life of me. I don't get the appeal of Jonathan Edwards to many. And then she says, after my Bible reading this morning, I read a bit out of an old book I'd pulled off my shelf, compilation of many of the great sermons of the past. I flipped open to a page where I'd handwritten the words, but I have Jesus. And then she, she goes on to say that she was, uh, it was next to um, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Mm-hmm. 
And she just, she goes on to say that if she would have heard these words before she was a Christian, she would have run away from God instead, of, instead of running towards him. My argument is that she doesn't know what she would have done. Yeah. Um, well, like you said, the problem is, the problem is she, she just stops short. She talks about his imagery of, of where like a spider on a web yeah, and we're the, dangling over we're hell. dangling over hell, and the only thing that keeps us out of hell is God's grace, yeah. a common grace, mm. as He holds us. Yeah, and she at uh, any she, moment He could let go. Yeah, she yeah. and she just she uh, she just kind of hones in on on that part, and she doesn't go any further. She I like the, I think she, she forgets the part that people fell over in the church on the uh, ground and cried out, "What must I do to be saved?" Right, right. Well, here, she forget, she no, she had, I mean, there's there's several there's several tweets in this, uh, but this is my I think this is my favorite one. All right, uh, God uses all sorts of means of calling people out of sin and unbelief. At times, I have very much needed the sternest possible warning from God. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm no big theologian. <laughs> I just enjoy that, <laughs> but hey, I just hey. don't I don't I don't think you're a spider, and I don't think God abhors you. Hey, but this is the irony. She's made herself really very wealthy, mm-hmm. and um, by coming, pre- by presenting herself to a, women as, as a big a theologian. theologian. Mm-hmm. But now the admission: I'm no big theologian. Uh-huh, right. Well, we we got that. We knew that. <laughs> maybe it was a lot of the ladies that needed you to admit it out loud, so they could you know st- maybe stop listening to you yeah. and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Maybe to some of those dead men who uh, we like to uh, judge. Back, we look back on them in, in judgment. As if we're superior. Just think. Just think about the audacity of that. Mm. Um, To look back in history, it it is to look back in history on any of these men, whether they would be presidents, uh, Christopher Columbus, uh, Jonathan Edwards, and we and we say, oh, uh, they're they're flawed character, and and we can't listen to them. They're not great men. Take down their monuments. Take down their plaques. Rename our buildings. Just think about this. The, the type of arrogance that it really takes to think that if you weren't born in that same time, mm-hmm. that you would be doing the exact same thing as them. Right. Because you would be. Mm-hmm. If you were born in Jonathan Edwards' day and time, you would be doing the same things Jonathan Edwards was doing. There's not a chance that you wouldn't be, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, and so to, to think that reveals your <clears throat> own incredible flaws. It's chronological snobbery, is yeah, what R.C. Sproul calls it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... But you could go even beyond snobbery to say, like, this is incredibly prideful. Mm-hmm. This is... Uh, right. Yeah, you're very arrogant and prideful to think that you would be different. Yeah. We can look back, and I've, you know, I've, I've struggled with this myself because the, the founders of the Southern Baptist Convention were slave owners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the reason why the Southern Baptist Convention was created, it it was over the debate over whether a, a missionary could be uh, a slave owner. Yeah, and uh, you know I've I've you know I've, I've sat and, and wondered like we would agree with these guys on almost everything, and yet they they supported slavery. Well, how they, did they how did they do that? How did they read their how did they read their Bibles and come to the conclusion that the slave trade was was morally permissible? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I. I don't know, but to well, look back to look back and be like, I would be different. Mm-hmm. That's um, well. I think there's I, a. I, I, I have no guarantee that that would be the case. 
Well, I think if you could, if you go back and you read some of uh, mm-hmm. some of the speeches and writings from the from that period, what you're going to find is that even the people in the church were influenced by um, Darwinian theory, mm-hmm. um, and that that impacted a, a many fields. Yep. Um, eventually, got into political uh, political thought. Uh, but the churches were influenced by that, so they're not—they're looking at people as subhuman. That's how. Yeah. Now, I don't think there there is a debate to be had that the Bible doesn't outright tell you not to have slaves, right? But it does have instructions for slave owners and those that are slaves, and sl- and the, and slave trade is outright condemned. That's the that's the thing yes. that I I struggle with the most is that slave slave tr- slave owning is never is never just condemned. And here's the reason why. Because in in the Bible era, it, let, let's say you are going to become homeless, right? And you have a wife and children, and you guys are going to you're going to starve to death. Mm-hmm. Rome is cruel, absolutely cruel. Um, you could risk it and try to like work your way up into something, but you know your your wife or your daughter could be stolen. Yeah. and taken away to some foreign country and made a slave. Or you, what you could find is some benefactor, and you could say, all right, this this man has a good reputation for treating his slaves well. I'm going to sell myself into slavery to him for 25 years. Mm. And any of my children born during that 25 years will also be his slaves and his property. Now, there are rules and regulations in place. It's not slavery as in uh, what, what the Americas knew it. Mm-hmm. Now, now there were there were a lot of shady dealings, illegal dealings back then too. But the entire industry of that the, the transatlantic slave trade was uh, man stealing, right? Which the Bible does commit. Yeah. It, uh, the Bible commend, uh, a, condemns it yeah, it's outright. De- that's a death penalty offense. Yeah, a death penalty. So the question is then, why did churches back then hmm. not more? Well, I think some of them did. I mean, yeah, I th- some of them did, but. How did they not work more toward the ending of that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I and I think I would argue it's because, like I said, they were influenced by Dar- Darwinian theory by that point. Yeah, even before Darwin had put all these things into writing, that was already in the culture. He kind of just formulated it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? To a uh, yeah, he synthesized it down into something and put it in a book where people could grasp. Right. So the question is, what are the what what? How are we being influenced in our church age? Yeah, in ways that we don't know and aren't aware of. Yeah. Where somebody you know in a podcast two hundred years from now can say, "I just don't see how they didn't see that." Mm-hmm. How did they not see they were being influenced by that thing? Right. So, yeah, don't look back <clears throat> on history as if you are holy and would never engage in such things, because if you were born to Jonathan Edwards' parents, you'd be Jonathan Edwards. And you do the things he did, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, Beth Moore doesn't get the appeal of Jonathan Edwards, but I'd encourage people to to try and read some of his stuff. Start with Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it is still, I don't know if it's still read in public schools. I, I read a little bit of it when I was, when I was in high school. I doubt it's read in school. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you can find it. It's, you can easily Google it and, and just read it. It's, yeah. uh, it's, there's there's a reason why it's been around for, for hundreds of years. I mean, it's it's powerful, and it's not just 
um, this caricature that, that Beth Moore presents in her her tweets. Um, it has law, but it also has the gospel. And he's considered to be the most uh, intellectual American, maybe, that's yeah. ever lived. Mm-hmm. So why would you not at least read him? Try yeah. try to read something. Hey, he is hard. There, yeah. I mean, some of his stuff is, is really difficult, yeah. but um, not all of it. Mm-hmm. And he's very experiential. Mm-hmm. He's he's very much um, an advocate of of Christianity is not just something for the intellect; it's something for the heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he talks about how he was out in a field contemplating the Trinity, and he just broke down in the tears. Mm-hmm. When's the last time that <laughs> that any of us have broken down into tears just contemplating the Trinity? I mean, I I earlier earlier this morning I did. I don't know about you. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm teasing. I am teasing. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, we're too bit we're too busy a lot of times to uh, to sit and contemplate. We've mm-hmm. talked about that before many times. We talked about that on Friday. Yeah, we did. So, well, <clears throat> let's jump into Hebrews. So, g- grab your Bible. George is going to read for us Hebrews chapter ten, beginning verse eleven, and I'll throw it up, or Larry will. Larry will throw it up on the screen. Here it is. There it is. All right. Uh, Beginning in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Very good. All right, thank you. Now you have two main points here that are going to help us go through. But before we jump in, could you please summarize this section? Because they almost could be like, I could see if we had like a two-hour sermon, it could be a really awesome two-hour sermon, last Sunday, this Sunday. Mm -hmm. But obviously we can't do that. So they're linked together. Yeah. Explain that. Um, well, the uh, verses 1 through 10 are really the contrast between the animal sacrifice of the Old Covenant and the sacrifice of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, verses 11 through 18 are, again, a contrast between the Levitical priest and their work and the work of Christ. So that that's... And we've talked about this. I mean, again, this is the... This is the conclusion to an argument that began all the way back in chapter 4, verse 14, about... Um, Christ as the superior priest, so um, we're 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 going over the same things that we've already seen, but he's he's really bringing out some different um, elements. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, that's the contrast. So verse eleven is here's the priest, and then verses twelve through um, fourteen is here's Christ's ministry. Mm-hmm. And then verses 15 through 18, um, he's showing that the Spirit is, um, he's testifying to this also. Yeah. 
So you had two indisputable evidences for Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice. Um, it was a, a interesting uh, and very, very uh, fitting opening kind of illustration that, that you gave. I can't remember if it was your very first opening illustration, but it was at the very beginning about the Mass. Mm-hmm. So I... It's perfect because it fits in with exactly with what this author, the author of Hebrews, is, is getting at. Yeah. And he's arguing against going back to the temple mm-hmm. where they repeatedly are offering these sacrifices. Yeah. But you show that there is nearly a one-for-one correlation between oh, yeah. what was going on in the Old Covenant and what Rome is still trying to do. Oh, yeah. We've, and Let's, we talked about this when we were looking at um, chapter 9 uh-huh. and, the, and the tabernacle. We showed uh-huh. that video of the priest... Who was walking through the the elements, and they have yeah. the they have the tabernacle, the little box with the elements, and he opens it up, and there's the curtain, and it's uh-huh. the holy of holies, and, and they're doing the same stuff. Uh, and Calvin, in his commentary on Hebrews chapter ten, at the end of of this section, he brings out an application about the mass mm-hmm. because that's that's the issue of his right. day, right? I mean, uh-huh. that's the the issue is. Um, Rome is apostate because they're they're doing the same things that uh, the the scriptures expressly prohibit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he says, uh, and I, I read the uh, from the the Catechism of the Catholic Church. This is not just um, you know some kind of of uh, Protestant propaganda, right? You wanted to know exactly like, what they here's say. what. Here's what the the catechism of the Catholic Church says. Yeah. Um, They say the sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist, so Christ on the cross and the Mass, Uh are one single sacrifice. All right. Uh, The victim is one and the same. The same now offers through the ministry of priest who then offered himself on the cross. Only the manner of offering is different. And since in this divine sacrifice, which is celebrated in the Mass, the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and offered in an unbloody manner, this sacrifice is truly propitiatory. Mm-hmm. All right, so, um, but they, they've got words that they try to get around right. Hebrews. Yes. Because right? they, they know like, he, the arguments yeah. from Hebrews. Um, and so they say, no, no, the Mass... Is the same sac? It's the same sacrifice. It's so it's same. not a different sacrifice. Right. It's the same sacrifice. Yeah. So Christ on the cross <laughs> and the mass, they're both sacrifice, but it's the same sacrifice. It's the same one. Yeah. But the problem is, it's a sacrifice that they repeat daily. Right. So what time is it? Ten nineteen. Ten o'clock. Somewhere there's a mass going on. Pro- yeah. In a Catholic church, um, I don't know how many times. It probably varies based on the size of, of right. a church where they, where they are, but um, daily they do a mass. They'll have a lunch mass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, they'll have morning, lunch, evening, and it's 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 daily. Yeah. I, saw, I saw a video. I saw a video a few weeks ago of, um, I don't even know where it was, but they were doing a simultaneous mass. Mm. There was like three or four priests in the same room doing a mass at the same time. Right. It's we've we've looked at this before the hocus pocus yes. of it where they ring the bell and uh-huh. and the priest uh performs transubstantiation and the the bread becomes the body of Christ and the the wine becomes the blood. Um 
So they say it's a, it's a single sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice that they have to do daily. Um, it's they say well, it's it's um, the the manner of offering is different because the the mass is an unbloody sacrifice, which I don't I don't exactly know how they argue that since they believe in transubstantiation. Yeah, um, and then they believe it's propitiatory. Right. I believe it actually is for sin. Uh-huh. And so if you if you don't go to mass, you're cut off from um, that yeah. that grace. Right, right. Um, so Calvin says at the very end, at the very end of his um, his section on uh, on Hebrews ten uh, eleven through eighteen, he says that the papist, in order to make the death of Christ efficacious, required daily applications by means of a sacrifice, so that they, calling themselves Christians, differ nothing from the Jews except in the external symbol. Right. So he's saying that the Jews that were going to the temple and offering animal sacrifices daily for um the forgiveness of sins the the mass is the same yeah that they're the the roman catholics are doing the exact same thing as the jews are doing yeah so he draws a he draws a one yeah i mean it it is a pretty clear i you know I, i didn't this was a rabbit trail that i didn't i didn't chase in the sermon but as i was looking through the the catechism of the catholic church they believe in transubstantiation so the 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 actual the actual presence of Christ, the physical presence of Christ in the elements, and so one of their uh, one of their teachings is it actually is called worship of the Eucharist. Hmm. Um, in the liturgy of the Mass, we express our faith in the real presence of Christ under the species of bread and wine by, among other ways, genuflecting or bowing deeply as a sign of adoration of the Lord. The Catholic Church has always offered and still offers to the sacrament of the Eucharist the cult of adoration, not only during the Mass, but also outside of it, reserving the consecrated host with the utmost care, exposing them to the solemn veneration of the faithful, and carrying them in procession. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they worship bread and wine. Yeah, yeah. That's why they bend down and they kneel uh-huh. when they come in. Yep, yep, that's it. Yeah. And so, that's that's what they teach. Yeah, that's, they're, that's they're not, doing uh, this, uh, you know, word game. Yeah. Like, um, we know we're offering many sacrifices, but it's actually a single sacrifice. Right, right. It's the same, it's the same sacrifice. It's, yeah, pay, pay no attention to that. We do it every single day all over the place, and we have to do that, mm-hmm. or you can't be saved. But it's it's actually a single sacrifice, uh-huh, yeah. so you're just thinking about it wrong. Yeah, it's just, it, yeah, it's 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 uh, it, yeah, it's just it's just word games, right? Yeah, that's that's what they're doing, and really, why they got away with it for so long. See, once once the, they had gotten away with this for so long, it had been established as like a culture. Mm-hmm. There is no going back for many. Right. It's because people were illiterate mm-hmm. and they couldn't read the Bible. Yeah. And if you were one of those rogue priests that started to read the Bible and you were like, hey, what about this, guys? Next thing you know, you're on fire yeah. and <laughs> then you're right. dead. And then you yeah. die. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's they the will, They wielded the sword. Yeah. There was a, um, there was a mixture of the, the sphere of the government and the sphere of the, of the church. And the church was, was putting people to death. Yeah. The first Marian martyr. Uh, it was John Rogers, I believe. Yeah, John Rogers, right? So. Yeah, no, my mind is betraying yeah, me. I don't remember. I'm gonna look it up. Okay. But he was uh, he was burned alive, and we would think, oh, is this because he was, you know, out here uh, challenging them, and you know, 
Mm-hmm. It, this was about like the doctrines of grace or something. No, it wasn't. It was about it was about the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. He was teaching that their 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 views of the Lord's Supper were heresy mm. and another gospel. Yeah. And so they're like, you need to recant your view of the Lord's Supper. Yeah. And he's like, I'll never recant my view of the Lord's Supper. <laughs> and yeah. so for that, uh-huh. he burned. Big miscalculation, though, <clears throat> yeah. on the part of Mary, Queen of Scots, mm. because she sparked a revival. Yeah. Well, I brought, I brought up the, the um, Catholicism at the beginning of the sermon because there is a, a big push this ecumenical push for Protestants and Catholics to consider each other brother and sister in Christ. Yes, it, and was, I, it, was, and John, I, it was John Rogers. Okay, and i i would I would assume that there's probably many Baptists that don't see major differences. Yeah, between the Catholic Church and, and Baptists, they they do some things that I wouldn't do. But they're you know they're they're relatively minor differences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read from the Council of Trent also. Yes, yeah, and uh, they anathematize anybody who believes that they can have confidence in God's mercy, um, which remits sins for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, they anathematize anybody that. Um, believes that after the grace of justification has been received that guilt is remitted and the debt of eternal punishment is blotted out in such wise that there remains not any debt of temporal punishment to be discharged either in this world or in the next in purgatory. Mm -hmm. So these are not minor differences. These are major gospel issues. They don't believe that you can have confidence by faith alone that in the death of Christ, all of your sin and guilt has been paid for forever. Mm-hmm. They believe that there's still other things that you have to do, right? Like attend mass, mm-hmm. right? So that you can have this sacrifice, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. no mass, no salvation. Yeah, that's how it goes for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's jump in then to the text. You had two points, and let me. Pull up the old notes. Two indisputable evidences for Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice. Two evidences. Are you becoming an evidentialist? I'm just kidding. Uh, Maybe. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'll go where the text leads me. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, he... um, I'm just... uh, Well, I mean, there's... there's, um, He's presupposing that they're believing the (laughs) Word of God, right? Yeah, he is. He's not arguing. I like it. No, this is... This is... This is... This is God's word, and here's evidences for it being God's word. He yes. just says, "Here's God's word. It's the Holy Spirit speaking." And this is this is uh, you have to presuppose. This I just couldn't true resist. I, I couldn't resist it, George. But you've got these, uh, and you've got these 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 new Christians that are being tempted to go back to the the temple and the priest and the animal sacrifices, and he's he's taking great pains to show, look, Jesus is a greater priest. He offers a greater sacrifice. But the question still is, how do I know? How do I know that that, that Jesus' sacrifice is once for all? Yeah, so he... I'll let you explain, but I, I like the way that he did it. It's pretty pretty brilliant. So yeah. he, he goes off of the uh, idea of like work, mm-hmm. like what's going on in the temple. Right. 
they're they're working nonstop mm-hmm. all the time every day, making repeated sacrifices all the time. Right. Um, and then what's Jesus doing though? Yeah. Well, he's doing something very different. Right. And I like how you kind of set it up when you asked, um, "What is the what's a piece of furniture that's not in the temple?" Mm-hmm. And you were like, "Chairs." Yeah. And people may not have con- have considered that. They might <laughs> they might think, "Well, there's probably chairs everywhere. These priests got to have somewhere to take a break." Mm-hmm. You know. Not so. Yeah. No breaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So explain explain how, to us then how he's drawing upon this idea that Christ isn't continually offering sacrifice because he made one and it was perfect for all time. And oh, by the way, he's sitting down. <laughs> right. And then he draws from an important psalm from the Old Testament. Yeah. So the first evidence is Christ's present position. Right. Um, so. Verse 11, it says, every priest stands daily at his service. And in case we think that's just, um, you know, an accidental phrasing, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8 tells us that um, at that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to stand before the Lord to minister to him. And then in uh, Deuteronomy 18, verse 5, um, he says something similar. He says that uh, the Lord, your God, has chosen him, the uh, Aaron and the priest, um, out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord. Um, there, there are no chairs mm-hmm. in the tabernacle. Yeah. Um, not any sanctioned ones, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Because, I mean, we, we have detailed, detailed, um, instructions for how to build all the furniture. Uh-huh. Like you've got the altars and the table for the bread of the presence and the lampstand, and you know like how many cubits are these and uh, all the curtains, and, and you know the, the exact dimensions of the entire thing. Uh-huh. No chairs. No chairs. Um, but we read in verse uh, verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. Mm-hmm. And um, we might think, well, this is just kind of a, I don't know, minor, just a, a minor detail. I mean, you, you might just skip right over it and not even really grasp what he's saying. Yeah. But he's making a deep theological assertion based upon the fact that the priest in the tabernacle are standing and Jesus is sitting. Right. Um, the reason is that there's a, a continual work that's being done in the tabernacle. They, they don't sit down because there's work to do. So every day they have to go into the, the holy place and they have to uh, light, the, light the candles. Um, they have to offer incense on the altar um, weekly, they have to exchange the bread of the presence, and then there's just the animal sacrifices. I mean, who's got time to take a break? <laughs> there's, I mean, they're they're just continually offering mm-hmm. animal sacrifices, so they they don't sit down because there's work to be done. Right. But Jesus, he has sat down, and the reason for that is the work is done. Right. So don't just don't just skip over this. Um, it actually is a a very important theological point that he's making here. Um, the uh, the work of Christ, his his seated position, it's 
um, it's emphasizing what we saw in chapter 7, verse 27, which says that he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Mm-hmm. So the, the work of Christ is complete. I like what F.F. Bruce said in his commentary. He said, a seated priest is the guarantee of a finished work and an accepted sacrifice. Yeah. Um, So when Jesus is on the cross, he says, tetelestai. Yeah. It it has been finished. Yeah. Um, The job's done. Mission accomplished. Job's done. Take a seat. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, you know, when I used to plumb, we'd be running around like busy little bees all day long, and no one would be allowed to sit. You know, we had our supervisor, Big John. He'd roll his window down and be like, "What are you know? What are y'all doing? Get up! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> work to be done. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, and, we, uh, uh, and we'd run around. Then, the, but then it'd be we'd be done. It'd be like five, and you know, we'd sit down on there on the side of the job site and have a coke and talk about stuff, and then go home because we're done. We could sit down. Yeah, anybody that's worked in um, like retail, they know you're you got supervisors that are constantly hounding you. Like you gotta you gotta be looking busy even if you're not busy you've got to be looking busy um i've worked at target i've worked at walmart um stocking shelves um i don't want you i don't want you just sitting around even if it's a job that you could do sitting down they want you standing up yeah uh because the job is not done now he links into uh, psalm 110 Mm -hmm. most quoted psalm in the entire new testament yeah um and jesus himself to see he references this now explain to us then this this is maybe a thought um that i had well, where is it in the passage um i don't know if i'm jumping too far ahead for you or not hopefully not um christ offered a single sacrifice for sin he sat down waiting for the time his enemies be, would be made a footstool for his feet so two things that two thoughts that i had one from 13, one from 14. Okay. The 13 one. What is the footstool idea? Mm. And why are you not a post-millennialist? <laughs> All right. And then I'll ask my question for verse 14. Because that's yeah. kind of the, that's a key thing for them is referencing this, that mm. he sits down until God makes all of his enemies, right. he puts them under his feet as a footstool. Mm-hmm. Then he returns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's a big question. Well, give us give that's us the Cliff question. Notes so version, the, so and we'll foot, revisit later when we do our eschatology stuff. So the footstool idea is he's not um, he's not just you know kicking back in a recliner. He's sitting on a throne, right? And he he's he puts his feet on a, his footstool. Um, the idea of a footstool is is found throughout the Old Testament, where um, the earth is the footstool of God, uh-huh. right? Um, it's communicating that he has authority over it. Okay. Um, I think a similar idea is probably the the idea of the king putting his foot on the neck of his enemies. Um, you see this in places like Joshua. Mm-hmm. They conquer some kings, and Joshua has the kings fall down on their faces, and he has like the leaders mm-hmm. put their feet on the necks of the the enemies. Right. Yeah. Um, and then he kills them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's the idea of of authority. Um, so Jesus is sitting on his throne until his enemies are made his footstool. And this uh, this this ties back into the end of chapter nine, 
mm-hmm. where um, he's not he's not offering sacrifices over and over and over again. Um, but it says, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So there's ties in a little bit. This, this idea of waiting, um, Christ is waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. Um, we also have to wait. Uh-huh. We're, we're waiting um, for Christ to come. Uh, why am I not a post-millennialist? Well, so like, <laughs> I had this question, this thought. Because often in the way it would be presented, mixing with some other you know, uh, parables mm. about the kingdom, yeah. is that all of the institutions of the world, the nations of the world, will be won over, mm. and there won't be enemies left. Mm-hmm. I find it hard to reconcile. I mean, in Psalm one ten, mm-hmm. uh, Christ shatters kings on the right. day of his wrath. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's it's interesting. You, you, I mean, he's he's just referencing one verse uh-huh. in Psalm one ten, but he certainly knows all of Psalm one ten. Right. And what's interesting in Psalm one ten is that um, Yahweh speaking to the Lord. Who's, who's Jesus? Yeah, so he actually tells him, "Rule in the midst of your enemies." Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's still this idea that he's king now. Yes, and he's king in the midst of his enemies. And the the I mean the the best picture of this is David. Mm-hmm. I mean David is king, right? He's God's anointed, but he still has enemies around him. And um, through a series of of wars, he progressively takes over. Mm-hmm. Right? Success, you know. Um, so Jesus is is ruling now. That's I me. Mean, you you can't get around that, right? Um, so this, I don't know if it's if it's a, a modern dispensational idea, but it certainly was kind of a more classical dispensational that we're waiting for Jesus to mm-hmm. to reign. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's reigning right now. Um, the the very argument of Peter on Pentecost is that. Look, the evidence that Jesus is reigning is that he's poured out the Spirit on the church. Right. You know, I think that would be a more of a modern dispensational view. Yeah. That he's not, well, in a sense he is, but not. Yeah. Um, which we'll get into some of that stuff yeah, yeah. as we... Um, but Psalm 110 says he's ruling in the midst of his enemies. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't wait until all of his enemies are shattered before he becomes king. Yeah. He's, he's king now. Uh-huh. Um. Where were we going with that? I don't even. I just wanted to. I just. I'm trying. You know, I tried to think of questions that. Yeah. um, No, I. I might. The questions I ask you, I know the answer to. I'm asking them on behalf of people. That I think they might have that question. You Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? If they're listening, they might just be like, you know what? I kind of got a question on this. Yeah. So I think the overarching um, story is that. I mean, you got the parable of the wheat and tares, where the. The kingdom is growing mm-hmm. and advancing, but that doesn't mean that the kingdom of darkness is gone. Right. So the the sons of the kingdom and the sons of this world they grow up together, mm-hmm. and it's when Christ comes that they're separated. Mm-hmm. Um, he he has the same parable with the um, the net. Right. Brings brings in. 
Oh yeah, there the, are many the fish and the mm -hmm. you know, many every, yeah. everything else, right? And they they Sheep separate, and the goats, they separate them. All of yeah. them. Um, but uh, you know, I I see places throughout the New Testament that um, it looks like the world the the kingdom grows in unexpected ways, right? And we don't we don't always see the ways that Christ is conquering his enemies, mm -hmm. but we know that as the gospel advances, that he is conquering his enemies, um, us, right? right? Um, he's he is subduing us mm -hmm. and bringing us into the kingdom, right? Um, so there is an ongoing advance. And I mean, throughout the the parables that Jesus tells, the kingdom comes in secret ways. We right. we don't we don't know we don't know all the ways in which Christ's enemies are being put under his feet right now. Um, I mean, even in we look at America and the way that America is going, um, we're under judgment right now. So. Who's say Christ isn't putting America under his feet right now? Mm -hmm. we, we don't know. We don't. Right. We don't have all the inside information about mm -hmm. all the ways that God is working, but we do know that He is that that God is putting all of Christ's enemies under His feet, mm -hmm. and that when Christ comes, He will shatter them, um, and He will put an end to all His enemies. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that I think the difference between um, postmillennialism and, and my position is that uh, postmillennialism believes that the world is going to progressively get better um, as it's Christianized. And as I read the New Testament, it seems like the way that Christ puts all of his enemies under his feet is um, in a cataclysm, like his his sudden appearance will be this final cataclysm that that shatters the nations. Mm -hmm. And uh, you see that in Psalm 2. Right. I mean, the nations are raging against the Lord and against his, his Messiah, and uh, Yahweh sits in heaven and laughs mm -hmm. at all their foolish, you know, foolish scheming because he's already set his king on Zion, his holy hill. And right now, the, the warning is, be wise, O kings. Yeah, kiss the sun. Um, because his anger flares up in a, in a moment. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so now the the um, the warning is, while there's time, find refuge in him, because he's going to come with all of his his uh, mighty angels. I think it says in in Second Thessalonians one, mm -hmm. and he's going to exact judgment mm -hmm. uh, against those who don't believe the gospel. Yeah. Um, so he's ruling now, and um, and he's sitting, and he's sitting, sitting down, ruling. And that doesn't mean that he's not working. Right. That doesn't mean that Jesus is taking a nap, like in a lazy boy, uh, because we've already seen in Hebrews, um, Hebrews seven twenty five, he intercedes for his people. Four fourteen, he sympathizes with them in their weakness. Um, Two eighteen, he helps them when they're being tempted. He is our great high priest who ever lives to intercede for us at the right hand of the Father. But his his seatedness is um, that his work of sacrifice is done. He didn't have to keep offering the same sacrifices right. over and over and over again. All right, so now verse 14, this gives us the reason. Why can he sit down? Well, he can sit down. His work has accomplished this one single offering that he has made, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Um, it, this was an effectual 
sacrifice. Uh, it was definitive. It was it was for a specific people. Yeah. These people, for all time, will mm-hmm. be perfected. So, I here's I I you know I I talked about it a little bit. I didn't I didn't push it very very much. Um, but I can't get around definite atonement in this verse. Uh-huh. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Uh-huh. Um, he has perfected. His death has done something, not in a general sense, but for those who are being sanctified. So it is for a particular people. Right. It's not a general sacrifice for for everybody who's ever lived. It is a particular, definite, limited atonement for these people who are going to they're they're going to make it mm-hmm. and i i don't know how you i don't know how you can understand verse 14 um without definite atonement right it, it's so explicit about this yeah. that the only alternative is to become a universalist <clears throat> i mean that's it lo- logically like right. a lo- a logical conclusion I know that there's. I mean, we all have our inconsistencies, so, right? So if you don't hold to limited limited atonement, we're not saying you're a universalist, but just consider the consider the logical conclusion to you're that right. position uh-huh. based on based on passages like this, right? This might be been the one that got Robert all my buddy all all worked up. This might be the one. You say that a lot. You've said that more than once as we've gone through <laughs> Hebrews. Well, is there one coming <laughs> yeah. that's more more explicit? On the nature of the atonement, uh, I think that verse fourteen might be the most. That might have been the crisis that point. Might be the most explicit. I mean, there's others. I mean, he, he. Um, you know what would fix this if I just gave him a call? Yeah. Um, you know, he, he found out. He, um, where is it? Uh, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Mm-hmm. Like he's, it's. I mean, it's it's he's not a he's not a high priest who just intercedes in general. He he intercedes for a specific people. It was uh, similar I, to I, the high priest of Israel. Yeah, I I <laughs> you know I struggled with I struggled with limited atonement when I first became a Calvinist mm. because I um I really was pushing back against against Reformed theology because that you know how I was raised I was I was raised just as a typical. Southern Baptist, mm-hmm. Jesus died for everybody, and um, so when I was confronted with it, I, I really tried to push back against it. And it wasn't until I got to seminary and my systematic professor started showing um, the the work of Christ as a priest, as a high priest, that's when I got it. Like that's when it it finally hit me. Like as it on the cross, he's acting as a priest, right? And a priest offers sacrifice for a particular people for those who believe in christ yeah, and and his and his death it actually works that's the whole point that's the whole point of hebrews chapter 10 uh-huh. is that it's not like the animal sacrifices that don't actually do anything his death actually atones it actually saves he's not just trying to save he, he's not just giving a possibility or or uh, right. you know a, a um you know here's an opportunity to be saved because a sacrifice has been made which can do it the the point is he his sacrifice actually does save 
Yeah. Um, we've got we've got some episodes planned coming up, right? Uh, we're going to do we'll yeah. do the doctrines of grace. Yeah. We got b- biblical interpretation coming, and then we'll do the doctrines of grace. And then we'll get into the eschatology mm-hmm. stuff. Now Thursday, I can't be here. I got I got a doctor's appointment in the city. What? Got to go up to the old city. Now what we might could do is go Wednesday, but we can plan that off air. Okay. If you can if you can make it work. Okay. All right. Um. So, verse 14, here, here is a thought maybe people have never considered before. There were people making sacrifices, mm-hmm. even pre-Moses time, mm-hmm. uh, Job. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm guessing if Job was doing it, there probably were other people. Um, well, Abel. Yeah, so what is the basis for the acceptable sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Maybe they haven't considered. But according to this verse... There's a there's a word for all time, right? So, I you can see for for all time, like moving forward, I'll never not reach completion. I will, mm-hmm. but there's the other thing to consider that every person who's ever lived, who's been justified before God by faith, right? Underneath the the uh, sacrifice that was offered mm-hmm. was not the sacrifice itself, the animal, right? It was something that was to come, mm-hmm. future. Yeah, you see what I mean. So Job's sacrifice for his family was acceptable and pleasing to God, because the basis for it right. was Christ. Christ's sacrifice. Right. Yeah. No. No one was ever justified by offering animal sacrifices in and as an end in itself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we can we can speculate going back to Genesis four and, and Abel bringing animal sacrifices. Um, I, I think it's tied into the end of Genesis 3 where God clothes Adam and Eve with animal skins. Mm-hmm. Uh, God himself probably taught taught Adam like this this is the this is the shadow of the reality. Mm-hmm. Like someone is coming, seed of the woman's gonna crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Um, something has to die in order for you to be clothed, for you to for your nakedness to be covered. And um, an animal is just temporary. And so maybe he taught that to Abel. Speculating, mm-hmm. of course, but um, could be. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Someone had to teach people that uh, animal sacrifices are what God required. Right. Like, I don't think it's human invention. I think, I think God taught them. Right. Um, and it had to have been somewhere around Abel. So. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So the first indisputable, indisputable <clears throat> evidence you have is Christ's present position at the right hand of the Father. The second indisputable evidence that you give is, from the text, the Holy Spirit's ongoing witness. So explain that to us, please. Uh, well, since you asked so nicely, Jay... All right. <laughs> uh, verse 15, and the Holy, I mean, and that connects right. it, right? Yeah. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. All right. So there you go. Second there it part is. Of I mean, that's the second part. It's, hey. it's, right, it's right there in the text. <laughs> Ima- imagine having your outline come from the text. I know. What a yeah, crazy, just, crazy it's, idea. It's right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never want to be the guy that 
that has an outline that um, the people are sitting there like, I don't know where he got this. I'm telling you, <laughs> whenever I felt that I was called to be a preacher, I would sit there and wonder. I had no doubt that I was, this is what I was supposed to mm-hmm. go do. I didn't know how that would work because, yeah. you know, I didn't even like to be in front of people and stuff. But I used to scratch my head and go, I, I can never do this because I don't know how these points were acquired. Yeah, where, where, they came, where, where they, they came from? Where did they come from? Yeah, I am not smart enough to come up with these points. Yeah, <laughs> but then I realized later mm. they're just saying stuff. Yeah. Mm. So. Yeah, the uh, little sneak peek the the next um pa- the next passage we're going to look at on Sunday nineteen through um twenty five twenty five yeah twenty five um. The outline just kind of pops out. Yeah. Like, I feel kind of guilty. It didn't even take that long. I was like, oh, it's just right it's there. It's right there. <laughs> it's, just, it's just sitting there. Uh, hopefully, the hopefully the people can see that also. Yeah. You know, we're trying to train them to be able to see, like, the flow of a text and the, the argument um, so that they can read their Bibles on their own. So, hopefully, they could, they could see uh, on Sunday the evidence of christ you know uh, in comparison with the with the priest he's they stand he sits and then and the holy spirit also bears witness to us yeah he's the second he's the second evidence you were an english uh major Mm -hmm. so you you were trained in you know reading and analyzing looking at a flow of an argument i think as we uh progress it's gonna be more and more difficult Mm. it's gonna be harder for us to teach people and explain to them because I don't think that's an element really of school anymore. Right. You see well, what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but also I think we are a, a fast-paced society, mm. and a lot of, of these observations, you have to slow down. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just think of that first point. Every priest stands, but Christ, when he offered a single sacrifice, sat down. Right. We, I mean, those are those are little, we would, we would consider those like just, just incidental things. We we wouldn't even really stop to think. Here's the contrast. Like there's there's a lot of things that he says in verse eleven. Every priest stands daily um, at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. There's there's a lot of of contrast. Mm-hmm. Right? Lots of points of of contrast. There's a bunch of priests. There's one Jesus. They're daily. He's once. They didn't. They they offered sacrifice that didn't take away sin. His did. There's there's a lot of of contrast. But the main point that he's getting at is the stand and sit down. But you guys you guys slow down a second to to really grab what he's he's saying. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, same thing here. Um, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, and then he quotes from Jeremiah 31. But there's there's stuff here that you got to slow down. You can't. You can't just. It's not a blog post that you're mm. just trying to read through. Um, you know, too long didn't read. You gotta. You have to actually take. We we again. We've we've talked about this. I I, I like to emphasize that we believe in verbal plenary inspiration. So the very words that are used are inspired. Mm-hmm. There's no accidental words. There there's no filler. The very words that are used are the intended words. Mm-hmm. So the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. 
Uh, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Right? So the Holy Spirit bears witness to us. And then he quotes Jeremiah 31. Right. Um, a couple of things. The first is um, we see the divinity of the Holy Spirit here. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Holy Spirit bears witness for he's saying this. Um, and then he says, declares the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's, that's Yahweh in the, the Old Testament. So right. there, there's the Spirit's divinity. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Spirit is equivalent with Yahweh. Uh, but the second is that uh, we've got this doctrine of inspiration. He's quoting from Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah wrote it. But he's saying that the Holy Spirit's the one who's bearing witness to us. Yeah. So you've got, you've got uh, the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. But, and bears. Yeah. As you said, ongoing. That's yeah. why you yeah, phrased a, it in that way. It's an ongoing witness to mm-hmm. us. This is not something that he just said in the past, but as as we read it, the Holy Spirit is still bearing witness to these truths. Mm. Um, it's it's an ongoing thing. So B.B. Warfield, he says, the Bible is the word of God in such a way that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Mm-hmm. That's why we take such a, you know, an emph- we put such an emphasis on the reading of scripture in well, it, our worship services it because is an, we believe this. It is an interesting shift, mental shift to take have take place because I, I speculate. Yeah. Most people would say the Holy Spirit bore witness mm. in Jeremiah 31. Yeah. But the author of Hebrews says he bears witness. Right. And that's a difference. That's a big difference yeah. because that means when you take the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, you, God is bearing witness directly to you. Right. Now this is not a new revelation, right? Like you, you're a prophet. Yeah. But this is any man. Any man may open the scriptures and hear directly from God. Right. Yeah. This is a massive. This is a massive truth. Um, when you when you open up the text and you you read it, we're not just reading a record of God's word. We are reading God's word. Yeah. We are we are um, hearing exactly what the spirit is saying to us um you know we could we could chase rabbits about continuationism or or cessationism but i I think that wherever you fall um on that spectrum i think we need to take seriously the fact that the the scriptures themselves are the word of god Mm -hmm. and um until we master this book we have more than enough, <laughs> you know, to to spend our lives on. Um, we don't need new revelation. We don't need ongoing revelation because the revelation is ongoing. Here is right. the ongoing revelation. Mm-hmm. It's it's every time the word of God is read, and it is it's enough for us to um, to devote our time to. Right. It can't be mastered right. because even if you could intellectually master every word and if you were a savant uh-huh. and you could memorize the whole bible and you knew every theological thread and argument um you'd still have to live out the truths right which can never be mastered right you're never going to mm-hmm. to master this yeah um and this is this is another this is another flaw we're deviating i guess off the topic but uh <laughs> to to believe that this is god speaking and then to not follow through with action mm-hmm. is a major disconnect. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know what I mean, right? So we can we can um, intellectually 
um, affirm, yes, this is the very word of God, and then in our practice, not do what he says. I can't remember if I shared this. I think it was from Mark Dever, but it was absolutely amazing. I thought it was amazing anyways. He he uh, must have been from a recent sermon, but he said, you know, we'll have guys, because, you know, theologically-minded men are drawn there. Maybe they even want to be part of his intern program mm-hmm. at Nine Marks. Yeah. But he says, we'll have guys that can talk with you theology all day long, and they can argue various points or whatever. He said, but then when you ask them to show up to church an hour early mm. so that they could go pick up old people and drive them to church, and they say no. Yeah. They don't want to. <laughs> all right. And he said, I'll be honest with you. I'll just come out and say it. I believe you may not be a Christian. Mm. Because why would you not do that? Yeah. Why would it... If I if I ask you to do that and you're a Christian, why would you say I don't want to? Mm. But you want to argue theology later, right. talk theology as we sit around the office. There's a major disconnect, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, "Wow, that one hit pretty hard." Yeah. So there's uh, people that they just don't want to serve other people. They're not interested in helping other Christians and loving other Christians that need help. Right. May not be a Christian. Yeah. Um. There was a church in Louisville where one of the, well, several seminary professors um, were there. And uh, so that was a magnet Mm -hmm. for uh, for theology students. Right. Um, And uh, whenever, I had a friend, I had a good friend that that went there. He said whenever they wanted to serve, um, they'd put them in the children's ministry. Mm. Because if you can't serve in the children's ministry, then you can't serve anywhere else in the church. You know, yeah. I mean, if you, if you really want to know the people that, uh, they really want to serve the church, say, well, we got openings in the children's ministry. Mm. Yeah. If you can't do that, then you don't have any business teaching an adult Sunday school class. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was uh, amazing. That that, yeah. that disconnect that is there. <laughs> That's clear. true. I mean, it's something as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, like taking care of orphans and widows. Mm. Like this is real religion. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm. And where does that start first? In your local church. Yeah. Yep. So, mm. um, so the, the spirit, he bears witness. Um, and that witness is to the new covenant. Mm-hmm. He's he is the one who is making the promise of the new covenant um, through the Old Testament scriptures, and uh, he he draws out this uh, the last promise of the new covenant. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And then the author of Hebrews makes the logical connection: where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer a sacrifice for sins. Mm-hmm. So here's the promise of the new covenant it is given by the spirit um so it's authoritative it's truthful it's certain um that god will there's five times in the new covenant passage god says i will do this so in jeremiah 31 mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. yeah it's not um so it's not it's very one-sided right right it's not again it's it's better than the old covenant the old covenant is do this and live don't do this and die. The new yeah. covenant is, I will do these things, and all we do is receive them. Right. right. It'd be like if you were a small like a nation and a big empire 
came and conquered your nation, but 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 peacefully, right? You're like, all right, well, I might as well bow the knee to this Lord, and he comes, and he's very benevolent, and he says, I'm the Lord of this covenant. Here is what I will do for your little nation. I will protect you. Um, I will judge your cases. I will make sure you have enough food. Um, all of these things, there will be law. Like, he just keeps listing all of these benefits, and you're like, well, we're nothing. What did we do? What did we do? What's our role? Mm-hmm. And and you're like, how how does this take place? It's like that. Yeah. Very one sided. <laughs> over and over. These great blessings that God is just going to do to His people in the mm-hmm. new covenant. Yeah. So He says, "I'll remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more." And the author here says, "Well, if God says He's going to remember our sins no more, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins." There, it's done because why would there, it, yeah. in the in the old covenant there we saw in, in chapter ten verse three it, it says that there is a reminder of sins every year yes there's a constant reminder in the new covenant God says I won't remember their sins so the 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 conclusion is very obvious the sacrificial system is is gone when when Christ died on the cross his death was powerful enough to put an end to the entire old covenant system. Yes, very, very good. Here's the here's the question or the thought, the thought, and you, I think you made a you might have touched on it. Whenever we're talking about uh, previously, like Devers thing, here's one of mine. Okay, a person who is unforgiving mm. to me ha- does not have the mind of the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. We're to have the mind of Christ. We are to be like Him. He doesn't remember our sins. How in the world could we, right. toward another Christian, mm-hmm. remember their sins right. and bring them up again? Jesus if, tells that that fantastic parable in Matthew eighteen, mm-hmm. um, right after the uh, you know we we focus on the the church discipline part of of Matthew, Matthew 18, eighteen. Right? Yeah, right? yeah. That's the first but, part. But right after it, yes, the Peter, second part. Peter says, "Lord, how how, how often, often should I?" forgive my brother because that that's the context church, church discipline is supposed it's not supposed to be punitive it's supposed to be right. restorative right if they return right if they return you're you're supposed to forgive them right that the church should with open arms receive that person back into the fellowship right uh-huh. uh then peter says well, well how many lord times? how many times am i supposed to forgive 70 times seven uh which is interesting because the the jewish rabbis they taught that um you can forgive your brother six times but the seventh time don't don't forgive him. Uh, uh, and so Peter thought that he was really, you know, seventy times seven. <laughs> um, and Jesus says, or or no, seven times, right? Seven and times. then Jesus says seventy times seven, right? Right. So so Peter Peter thought he was going beyond the, the rabbi's teaching. Should I forgive them more than the rabbis say? And Jesus says seventy times seven. So um, don't again. You, you don't count count the ninety and like. Well, 491. Um, and he tells this parable. It's like means infinite. Right. That's what he's saying. Infinitely. Um, and it's probably referencing back to um, uh, Lamech in, uh, in Genesis chapter 4. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy who he kills, he kills a man and he's... Boasting. He sings a song. It's called the Song of the Sword. Right. Um, if, if anyone, uh, if, if the, the punishment for... Cain. Uh, Cain is seven times the the punishment 
for Lamech, Lamech. is 70 times 7. Uh-huh. Um, and then Jesus tells us this, this parable of the unforgiving servant. Yeah. You've got the servant. He owes, um, I don't even remember what it is, but uh, one commentator says it, it'd be like the equivalent of like a zillion dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's got this debt that is, it's astronomical. Right. Um, and he, uh, the king is calling into account, uh, and the servant falls on his face and says, please have mercy on me. Give me time. I'll, I'll pay it all back, which is laughable because it's, it's can't such be paid. A, it can't be paid. And the king forgives him his debt, this astronomical debt. Mm-hmm. Right. And he goes out and he finds a, uh, he finds a fellow servant who owes him, um, I think it's 30 days. 30 days wages mm-hmm. um and it's um it's a big it's a big debt mm-hmm. but it's not it's doable right right um and that that servant says he does the same thing mm-hmm. he says, have mercy on me um i'll uh, i'll i'll pay it all back mm-hmm. this isn't as laughable like it's still a big debt and i think that's important to to point out like this is it's still not, you know, change. It still is a month worth of, of mm-hmm. salary. That's that's still a big a big deal. When someone sins against you, the Bible's not saying, well, it's not it's not a big deal. Like you just say, ah, don't worry about it. Um, you still treat sin as serious. Like it, it's it's an offense. Um, but this servant, he grabs him by the throat and he is choking him out. Pay what you owe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and throws him in the debtor's prison. Mm-hmm. Well, some uh, eyewitnesses, they go and tell the king. King calls him back. I forgave you this gigantic debt. And you didn't forgive your fellow servant this small debt. Right. And the, the teaching is very clear, right? Yeah. Like God has forgiven us this debt that could never be repaid. How much more should we forgive yeah other people who who haven't sinned against us <clears throat> anywhere near what we've done towards god right right yeah there you know in our in our house like in our home um we want to have a, a home that has a lot of grace like we want grace to be like the center of our house um, people that aren't Christians would probably be very unfamiliar with that because they would think, "Oh, you're you're a preacher, and your kids are so well behaved." I get compliments on my children all the time. You probably raise them according to the law, right? Like really law heavy, and that's not the case um, because they're both claiming to be believers. We treat them like believers, mm-hmm. um, so we place a huge, huge emphasis on yes, you are believers, both of you. But you're both sinners. So, but the one thing that I that we will not ever tolerate is unforgiveness mm. between the two, or between them and us. Like you know, the little one, you know, she's far beyond even being able to understand this. But they're both about to be adults, and so what we're trying to teach them, they're going to hopefully carry into their own families. Um, so there, when it gets serious, or or where I'll get upset is if there is somebody will bring something up from the past. Mm. Like, you you know, whatever. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you can't do that. Yeah. Like, this is off limits. This is not how we behave with each other. 
did they ask you to forgive them? Yes. Did you say you forgive them? Yes. Then you let it go. It's gone. Yeah. And I, I told you before, sometimes I'll make them hold each other. <laughs> yeah. I'll get them at, and they'll have to stand in a room like holding each other. Mm. Imagine this 18 year old and a 16 year old yeah. brother and sister. And they have to hold each other until they surrender and yield. This is not just my sister. This is a Christian. Yeah. I can't hold things mm. against them. This is stupid. Yeah. I've told you before, my philosophy is so many problems can be fixed if people will just do what Jesus says <laughs> yeah. and forgive each other. Mm-hmm. And, and that means not holding it against them. Right. I, um, I use the example of this, uh, this pamphlet I use when people come to me for marriage counseling. It's, it's called uh, What Do You Do When Your Marriage Goes Sour? by Jay Adams. You can, you can Google it. It's, it's free. You can find it online. Um, and it's, um, it's written in prose. Um, it's, it's written as a story. Um, this, this made up dialogue and the, the, the counselor in the story, he says, when you, when you forgive someone, when you say, I I forgive you, you're making three promises. The first is I won't hold this against you. So I, I won't, bring it up you won't weaponize it later yeah like you're holding the nuke later yeah because you know something's coming yeah you won't use it when you have another fight well remember the last time yeah like you won't you won't use it you 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 let it go right the second is i won't talk about it with other people so i'm not gonna you know hit up my friend and be like can you believe what she did right um and the third is um i uh, i won't dwell on it myself like I won't sit and stew on it. Oh yeah, because that'll that'll cause the resentment to build. Oh yeah, well you, that's going to lead to anger. The, and that's going to lead to the first one, yeah. right? That's what you're saying when you when you say I forgive. That's why we we in our house we strive when someone does something against another. Um, we don't just say I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and we don't say that's okay. That's what people do, right? Right, yeah. Don't I'm say so, that's okay. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. No, that that's, that's okay. A, that's all right, yeah. No, it's not okay. Or they <laughs> wouldn't be apologizing. They wouldn't be fighting. <laughs> there wouldn't be there wouldn't be conflict. That's again going back to Matthew 18. The the second servant, he owes a big debt. You know, if someone owes you a month's salary, you don't have to you don't have to pretend like it's not a big deal. So you don't just say, that's ah, all right. We say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Um, because it's there's a transaction going on. You're mm-hmm. saying, I have done something that has hurt you. Right. I, I take responsibility. I'm not making excuses for it. Will you forgive me? Right. And then the, the offended party says, Yes. I won't use this against you. Um. We'll, we'll put it in the past. I won't use it against you. I won't talk about it with other people. I won't dwell on it myself. Um, and th- and that's where you have true reconciliation. Uh-huh. That's that's where you can actually be reconciled. There's not still this uncomfortable. Um, there's still this elephant in the room. Like both parties have been reconciled, and the offending party says, "I." 
I won't remember this against you anymore. And that's what we're supposed to do because that's what God does. That's going back to Hebrews chapter 10. That's what he says. I will remember their sins no more. That doesn't mean God gets amnesia. God remembers our sins. He doesn't hold us on the cross. He doesn't hold it against us. He remembers all of our sins on the cross. Mm -hmm. Um, Sin is not just swept under the rug. God actually does take out his, his judgment against sin it's just on the cross. Mm-hmm. And because Jesus has paid for our sin, he is our final sacrifice, God no longer holds our sin against us. Mm-hmm. So God is no longer angry with, with you, Christian. Um, he, he will not condemn you for it. And so there remains no sacrifice for sin. You don't have to go to mass daily to um, earn more of that grace. Because God has already poured out all the grace you'll ever need because of Christ, Mm -hmm. because he has actually died for your sins. Um, And there remains no, there's nothing else you can do. You can't add something to this. Uh, You don't, you know, you don't have, you don't have the cherry on top. All right. Like, how are you going to add to the perfect, uh, the perfect sacrifice of Christ? Get real. Like, what else are you going to do? Um, and in the same vein, um, we need to stop thinking that um, our sin is is too much, that God can't forgive us, that God mm-hmm. won't forgive us, that, that we've done something that's just so bad that there's no way that God could ever forgive someone like me. Yeah. You, you don't know what I've done. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's equally moronic. <laughs> like the, the, the cross is powerful enough to forgive any sin. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I, I brought up. Think of the worst person who's ever lived: Hitler, Nero, the nine eleven terrorist, um, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, just, I mean, just think of the worst person that you can think of, like the person that's done just the most heinous thing that you can imagine. Mm-hmm. If they'll repent, Christ's sacrifice is enough for their sin. Right. And if we balk at that and we say, well, "Not the nine eleven terrorist," right. Then we we still are not grasping how powerful the cross is. Right, the cross is powerful enough for the worst sins. Yeah, given that they'll t- they'll come. Given to that Christ. they'll come to Christ. Yeah, that's they'll yeah. come to Christ. That's the only thing that keeps people. If you from won't it. if you won't come to Christ, then, then there, the there is no, there is nothing there is nothing else. And we're going to get to that in a warning passage in mm-hmm. a couple of weeks. There were there is no other sacrifice. Like there, it's not well. Jesus just, he's not my thing. I'll try to do this. No. There's nothing. There's nothing. A, you know, it's a scandalous thing. The cross is really a scandalous thing and a scandalous doctrine. Uh, and this, I mean, even people, like non-believers, they get this. I remember spending time once talking to this man. He was several years older than me. And uh, this was his hang-up, was I just cannot believe in a God who would forgive someone on their deathbed. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like... They die and they've never come. And he's like, no, I mean, like before they die, they own up to everything and confess, and then they find forgiveness, and yeah. it's just all wiped away as if it didn't happen. Right. Um, the, and God will receive them, like accept them. He's like, that's I just can't accept that. Mm. Well, what's behind that? Yeah, you know, but what's behind that is, I think this idea that um, you want to contribute something, right? Like you've you've got something to give to God that this really bad person didn't have to give to God, mm. right? Yeah. So pride, human pride, is behind it. 
the um I've seen a meme and it's even more relevant because of uh the situation that's gone on in, in Cyril over the weekend mm-hmm. looking for that little girl. Uh it's a meme with uh you know a picture of Jesus uh holding this this little girl mm. in heaven and he's pointing off off the screen. See that guy over there? He's the guy that murdered you. Uh he he uh, repented in prison and uh now he's in heaven. Why don't you go say hi? Mm. Um and it's it's meant as a mockery, right? Right. Like someone that kills a little a little kid doesn't deserve forgiveness. No, they don't they don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve forgiveness. We're not we're not saved because we're good people. We're saved by the the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um and if we if we can't if we can't, you know, accept that even the worst of sinners could repent and and become uh you know, a follower of Christ, we we just haven't grasped the power of the cross. Yeah, and I don't think we've grasped the propensity of human depravity that exists in our own heart. Yeah. We talked about chronological snobbery earlier, but maybe we coin a new phrase. We call it providential snobbery. Mm. That's, uh, I think, the idea to think that if I were if I were born in that set of circumstances, that I would be different than that person I look at and say is a bad person. Like, I look, you know what I'm saying? We'll look at this sinner and we'll say, well, how, you know, God could forgive them. That's, that's a scandalous thing. Um, not realizing, had we been born in the exact scenario, that we probably would be doing the exact thing. Mm. And then in that case, we would really be wanting this to be true because we want forgiveness. We would right. want it. You see what I mean? Yeah. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't do that yeah. either. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, <sighs> this is great news. Uh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it is. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So this this gives assurance of salvation, mm-hmm. uh, even even to those like even to people who kind of have it nailed down. Um, great news for us to understand the superiority of Christ's sacrifice. Uh, why is he Why is he seated? He's completed his work. Um, we will be sanctified. We will be made perfect. We don't see it yet. We're struggling now, but we will, not because we are really great at persevering, but because Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. And therefore, because he did, he will provide every means necessary, every providence necessary, every seemingly insignificant thing that happens in your life and big thing, mm-hmm. all necessary to bring you to perfection. All things work for the good of the saints. Yeah. Right. And that's... You know, again, that's that's uh, that's the good news of the new covenant. All those I wills, the Spirit, He effectually does these things. the The Spirit He effectually applies all of the promises of the new covenant to believers because Christ has purchased them. Yeah, that's it. Good, awesome. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, it was a good sermon. Hebrews is a good book. It's a great book. I'm learning along with. Those of you that are listening, never preached through it myself, so I'm enjoying it. I hope you are as well. Um, if this podcast is beneficial to you, please write us a review, maybe. Uh, share it with some friends. Put it on your social media. Kind of help us get out there a little bit more. Um, it's our hope and it's our desire to minister to the people of our church, 
you know, we obviously want that first, but then from that also, there are other people that I think are benefiting from it. It's our hope that, you know, what we talk about helps you to be more and more conformed to Christ. And I hope you come back for Free For All Friday. Will we have it? We don't even know if we will or not, but you'll just have to come back and see. See you next time.